Can I give you a massive, massive welcome? Uh, if you are obviously here for the first time, uh, we're so blessed to have you with us. And of course, a massive welcome to all of you as you come back uh, to Freedom Church. It really is amazing, isn't it? We've had 18 months out. And this really has been, I think, not only the strangest 18 months that I can remember in my life. I was speaking to, to Jim. And even for him, this, in his memory, is a very strange time. And um, I think not only has it been the most strange, it's been one of the hardest seasons, I think, for many. Um, you know, all of those privileges, all of those ways that we've been used to of doing life have been mostly taken away, haven't they? Uh, they've been eroded or challenged. So our friendships and our family social times have been disrupted, haven't they? Our workplaces, our places of education have been shut down. Our social hangout places, sporting events, and even our church, Freedom Church, shut down from meeting together physically. And you know, the government has had to take, hasn't it, just they made some very, very difficult decisions over this past 18 months when it comes to locking things down. And there are consequences to every decision that we make, isn't it? We know that there's a consequence to a decision. And there's been some positive consequences, hasn't there, to what has been going on. I've never seen, I don't think in my time as a nation, there's a unity, there's a pulling together over what is a common enemy of COVID. Yeah, you've seen that. Neighbours actually chatting together for the first time. We've seen relationships open up on our neighbourhood that we hadn't seen before because of COVID. I think there's been people who have been readjusting their work-life balances as they recognize actually maybe the fragility of life and what's really important. But there's also been some negatives, haven't there? I think just thinking about the economic uncertainty, the big debt that we have as a country that's been building up, our NHS waiting times have gone through the roof, haven't they? And it's predicted that over the next 18 months, we're going to start to see some of the health challenges that lie ahead for us as a result of locking things down. Social anxiety, suicide rates have risen. Stark stats, aren't they? Poverty has increased. We're being told that there's a ticking time bomb going on across this country and many other nations when it comes to rents and bill arrears. I was listening in the car, the stats on the thousands of families that are grieving as a result of COVID, who haven't managed to process or receive any support during this time of COVID. Do you know, when we look at all of this, we recognize the world is in a mess, isn't it? And to be honest, if we're not careful, when we start looking at all these stats, we can start thinking exactly how the world does. It starts to become doom and gloom. And you know what can happen? Hope can vanish. And it can very, very quickly become overwhelming. As you hear those stats, how's your spirit? And I think we find ourselves sometimes in a place where we don't know where to start. Yeah? You know, this place was probably the place that I think just under 2,000 years ago, the disciples found themselves. Locked in a room, 
They were leaderless. People taken away who they'd been with for three years. They were probably pretty anxious and really quite uncertain about what their future held. And Jesus had been training them, hadn't he? He'd been training them to preach the kingdom of God and to go into all of the world. And yet right here in this moment, they're in this room and they're being told by Jesus to wait. To wait for a person. To wait for the power. Why? Because Jesus knew they simply had no chance of accomplishing anything of significance without his Holy Spirit. And you know, quite honestly, there's, even though we can see some of the positives in this lockdown, even though this isn't a surprise to God, God knew this would happen. I think for me personally, I'm sure for many of you out there, I'm feeling some of the effects of this lockdown. I feel slightly daunted by the stats that we're bombarded with as we look at the poverty and the needs of this city around us. I'm feeling slightly cautious about my schedule of becoming overwhelmed again, of having to do, do, do. I'm feeling some of what Matt was talking about at our last prayer meeting, of feeling that sense of retreating back into my little cave far too easily. Oh, it's gone. It's all right. No, it's fine. Actually, I'll take it. Go on. Try and put it back on there. Note to self, use a tablet. And you know, I'm also feeling just a little bit rusty socially and maybe a bit spiritually. I don't know how you guys are feeling. But you know, the one thing that changed a small group of people locked in the upper room from being anxious and timid and useless was an encounter with the Holy Spirit. It was with a person. And this is the reason why over the next nine weeks, we're going to be looking at very ordinary individuals in the Bible, both from the Old and the New Testament. And specifically, we're going to be looking at what happens when the person of the Holy Spirit comes on them and empowers them to do extraordinary things. We want to give you, we want to give him space, space to minister to us as a church, Space to bring faith again. Space to give us refreshing for what he's called us to do as a church. And uh, I just felt like at the start, we've got new people joining us. Uh, we've got people who maybe haven't uh, heard us talk about who he is. And uh, so I thought it was really important just to start by looking at some of the foundations, just very quickly about who he is, who we're talking about, the Holy Spirit. So first, I want to say the Holy Spirit is a person. I've already mentioned that. He's not some sort of force like we see in Star Wars, the force. He's not some mystical, scary thing. I think in years gone by, he's referred to as the Holy Ghost. He's not the Holy Ghost. He's not eerie. He's not an it. He's not even an, ex an experience. 
although we do experience him. And you know what? It's easy, isn't it, to associate God the Father and God the Son as persons, because we can all empathize and understand what a father and a son is. But actually, when it comes to the Holy Spirit, often we don't quite know where to put him. But I want to say he is a person that we can actually get to know and enjoy and never exhaust. Secondly, I want to say he's part of the Godhead, okay? He was there right in the beginning of Genesis. We read it, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. I just want to say the Holy Spirit, he's not inferior to God, the Father, or God, the Son. He is totally equal, okay? We believe in one God, three persons, each having distinct roles. Thirdly, I want to say this. You cannot be a Christian without the Spirit at work in your life. Okay, we're actually told biblically, aren't we, that before we put our faith in Christ, that we are actually spiritually dead to him. There's nothing that we can do in and of ourselves of waking ourselves up. We're actually dead. We're not just asleep. We're dead to him. And so to have the scales removed off our eyes so that we can see him for who he actually is, to have our hearts transformed from a heart of stone to a heart that responds to him requires a work of God. It requires a work of his Holy Spirit. And we know that Jesus has sent his Holy Spirit when he left the disciples. He sent the Holy Spirit to live and dwell in each of us as Christians. And he is a seal. He's a seal that guarantees our inheritance, our sonship. And so we read in Ephesians 1, it says, And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession. So important. And I want to say this. He isn't just for those leaders in the church. He's not just for the elders, the worship leaders, those leading life groups. Okay? He's not just for those crazy people that you think, well, they're a bit more attuned to this. The Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit is for all, every believer. You know, in the Old Testament, we're going to see as we study some of these characters that actually he was... Um, in the Old Testament, he came on individuals for specific times and specific reasons. But when Jesus left his disciples, he sent the helper to be poured out on all believers. Fourthly, I want to say this. He's not an optional extra. Okay, I know for many of us growing up, uh, this might be your experience, was that actually you used to hear about the Holy Spirit but he tended to be a bit of a side show. He was on the periphery in everything that you did. He was there, but he wasn't really involved. And I want to say that if you think that living for Christ is hard, well, you're right. To live the life that we are called as Christians isn't just hard. I want to say it's impossible without him, without the helper, without the Holy Spirit. He is integral to us walking in step 
with God. So I just want to encourage you, if you're sitting there this morning and you're thinking, you know, I hear what you're saying. We're going to do a series on the Holy Spirit, but I'm just going to steer clear of this Holy Spirit stuff. I really want to urge you to reconsider. Just check your heart right now. Fifthly, I want to say fear. When we talk about the Holy Spirit, I think for many of you, your reaction is one of fear. And that's for numerous reasons. I think for some, it's about your experience of churches. When we talk about baptism in the Spirit, you've seen some crazy things. You've seen those churches where crazy things are happening to people when the Spirit comes. And I think the other group of people, there's fear when we talk about the Spirit because actually you've not experienced the Spirit like other people do. And there's this feeling that everybody else seems to be encountering him, but I'm feeling nothing. And I just want to say on those two fears there that, listen, manifestations are recorded biblically, aren't they? We see the disciples being mistaken as being drunk when they're full of the Spirit. We see Paul sending a tissue that seems to somehow heal people. We see all sorts of things biblically. And I want to encourage you that manifestations don't need to be scary. Okay? They are biblical. I also want to encourage you that as we look at this series on the Spirit, the manifestations themselves are not the purpose of what we're pursuing. Do you know, of course, it's great to have encounters with Him. But I want to say the test of an encounter is not whether you fall over. That might not be advised on this playground either. But a true test of an encounter is actually true change. It's transformation. A true test means we're going to see more of him being outworked through your life. That's a true test of an encounter with the Spirit. We see more of him being outworked in your life. So I want to say he's the gift giver. Okay, we're reading scripture about eagerly desiring spiritual gifts. And we get loads of these lists in the Bible. It's not exhaustive. But we see things like uh, administration, healing, prophecy, tongues, leadership, teaching. And I just want to say as a church, as we set our course on encountering him, on saying, come Holy Spirit, we need your refreshing. We're going to start to see some of these gifts. It's who he is, okay? He's, he's using these gifts for the building up of his body, okay? And we see it in Acts, don't we? At the very beginning, we see uh, boldness coming to the disciples regularly. Boldness to step out in proclaiming the gospel. We see joy even through immense suffering. And actually, we see a conviction of sin that comes to the disciples. That's who he is. That's what he does. We also see him transforming our characters. You know, we know the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. When he comes, the church changes. Okay? We see more of him. I just want to say as a leadership, we are so excited about seeing more of him breaking out amongst us. 
And I want to say, not just hearing the stories that we're going to see every week from Scripture, but I'm expecting to hear freedom stories happening every week as we learn, as we listen, as we encounter. I'm expecting stories that we want to bring to the front here and share and encourage the body with of how God is using us in this city. I want to end by just looking at a few things. There's lots of hopes that I have for this series. But I want to end by just expressing just two of these hopes that I hope for us as a church, we will, we will see happen as Freedom Church. The first one is that our thirst for the presence of God would increase. Okay, from Exodus 33, we have this encounter Moses has with God. And um, he says this, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all other people on the face of the earth? To his presence, we know this church, don't we? His presence is the very thing that makes us different to every other social organization on the planet. And I love reading about Moses. I, mean, I, think, I think Chris might be studying him. And this determination for the presence of God. Do you know, yes, he wanted, he wanted the nations to recognize Yahweh amongst them. Fundamentally, I want to say he enjoyed he was dependent on the presence of God he goes on in this story to ask to see the glory of God to which God gives him this little little glimpse because he's aware that he cannot see the full glory of God otherwise otherwise he'll die but I want to say Moses's attitude here in being totally unashamed in pursuing the presence of God he comes and he asks there's no holding back. There's no British aloofness. There's no over-politeness. There's no passivity here in Moses. And I want to say this hunger and thirst, they're actually natural expressions, aren't they, of a very human desire that we have for the need for food and drink. And you know, one of the clear indications when something is wrong physically with us is when we lose our appetite. It's the same spiritually, you know, to hunger and to thirst for God is at the very root of our being. It's the way that God has made us. And so I want to say when there is no hunger for the presence of God, it's actually an indicator that something is wrong spiritually. And, you know, what happens when we spend time in his presence when we get to know him, the person of the spirit, is that we actually become thirstier. You know, we've tasted him and we've seen. And actually we're ruined for anything else. We see it, don't we? We see it in Acts as the disciples devote themselves daily to prayer and the words. And we see it in revival history as we look back. In the Welsh revival, there's this group of teenagers, a group of teenagers who declare their love for God and for his presence. 
And what happens? Boom. Churches become jam-packed as the presence of God, the kingdom of God breaks out amongst them. In the Hebridean revival, it was two old women in their 80s, one blind and the other suffering with arthritis. But they sensed revival and they committed to prayer out of a thirst for him, a thirst for him to move. So I want to ask you, Freedom Church, this morning, how is our appetite this morning? What if we are feeling apathetic or distant? How do we go about increasing our appetite for God and his presence this morning? I want to say, although we can't force a move of the Spirit to break out amongst us, that doesn't mean that we become passive, okay? And one of the best ways of understanding this, I think, what it looks like to pursue a move of God is using this analogy of a boat and its sails. You see, the Spirit of God in the Greek really is described as the wind or the breath, the ruach of God, okay? I know um, a few years back for an anniversary celebration, I took my wife off to the Lake District. She used to do a bit of sailing in her day. I've never really done any sailing. So I thought, you know what, was a surprise her. We'll do a, uh, a lesson, a couple of hours out on the water, sailing a boat with an instructor. It was great, except when we got there and we got onto the boat, it was highly frustrating. Because actually when we got on the boat, the wind dropped, it died down, and there was just no wind at all. Nothing. And we just sat there, honestly, on this boat, sitting there talking to this instructor who actually sailed for the Irish international team. He was an expert sailor. But, you know, without the wind, it doesn't matter who's in your boat, you're not moving anywhere. But after 30 minutes, we got our first gust of wind. It was 30 minutes sitting there, slightly awkward, waiting for something to happen. And the instructor, he didn't move straight away, he stopped and he spoke to us and he said, where did it come from? Where did the wind come from? Do you know, he was an astute sailor. He knew exactly which direction the wind had come from as soon as he felt it. And so he adjusted the sail and immediately we started moving. And suddenly, as we got into the body of the water, we had full movement across this lake. I want to say we cannot control the movement of God. But I'm praying that as a church, as Freedom Church, one of the things through this series is that we learn to discern where God is moving. I want to say this as well. Likewise, without the sails up, in the boat, the wind could blow as strong as you like, but you won't move anywhere. So I'm praying also that we learn as a church how to be ready, how to hoist the sails, to be ready to catch his wind, his power, that I believe he wants to propel us wherever he des desires, in our neighborhoods, in this city, in the nation, in the nations. Finally then, I want to say, I hope we get to see as he sees with spiritual eyes. In the book of two kings, we see the king of Aram chasing the nation of Israel, don't we? But his plans keep getting foiled because there's a prophet there called Elisha. 
who keeps telling the king of Israel every move that this king is about to make because God's given him insight. And this king gets angry. And he decides the only way to solve this problem, to take out Israel, is to take out Elisha. Got to take him out. So we see in verse chapter 6 of 2 Kings, verse 13, says the king says this, Go find out where he is, the king ordered, so I can send men and capture him. The report came back. He is in Dothan. Then he sent horses and chariots and a strong force there. They went by night and surrounded the city. When the servant of the man of God got up and went out early the next morning, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. Oh, no, my lords, what shall we do? The servant asked. Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed, open his eyes, lords, so that he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he looked and he saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Do you know, it can be so easy, can it, to be overwhelmed by what is happening in this country and in the nations of the world. Even the great commission to go and make disciples of all nations can feel like an impossible task. And you know, if we look through these earthly eyes, I want to say we're never, ever going to scratch the surface of this city, never mind this nation or the nations. But I want to say this, the Jewish leaders and the Roman army, they must have looked at this very small number of Jesus followers, maybe 500. And what do you think they did? I think they probably laughed. They underestimated. What can this group of 500 possibly do now their leader's gone? Very much like in the Old Testament Gideon's story of this 300 strong army, what can such a small army really do? I want to say the task can feel overwhelming unless we see that the battle has actually been fought and already won. I think for many of us, actually, we're shaped more by our experience than by our theology. And the problem is, is that our experience and our understanding theologically often are in sharp contrast. So instead of being shaped by what the word of God actually says about who he is and what he's going to do in and through us, that he will empower us to heal the sick, to bind up the broken hearted, that he has actually given us a boldness to proclaim freedom for the captives and release the prisoners from darkness. We end up actually allowing fear and doubt and apathy and the mission overwhelm us before we've even begun. I want to say the church, it grew out of a small group of Jesus followers who chose to follow the command of Jesus simply just to wait for the power. And when he came, they were propelled out into the world to a desperate world who needs and needed then to experience the authentic power and love of God. See, God never intended us to do life on our own. He never intended us for us to run ourselves into the ground trying to bring about change in our communities. His desire has always been, and his plan was for us to be filled with him, 
with his power, with his love, with his insight, and with faith, so that we can minister to those who don't know him. I want to end, church, by saying Liverpool needs to encounter a spirit-filled church. You know, Freedom Church is is doomed to a very boring, short-lived existence without the continual filling of the Holy Spirit. That's the honest truth. And my hope is that we see as he sees. We see ourselves firstly for who he's making us to be. And we see his kingdom breaking out amongst us through his gifts and through the power of the one who literally speaks things into being. Every one of the disciples, and come to think of it, as we're studying these characters over these next nine weeks, every one of these characters that we're looking at were pretty unremarkable people who felt pretty overwhelmed at what God was calling them to do. Why? Because it was literally out of their own reach. But when they grasped the power at their disposal, they saw remarkable things happen. You know, it didn't take a lifetime for them to go from a place of fear to faith, from timidity to boldness, from being totally ineffective to seeing many healed and come to a knowledge and faith in Christ Jesus. It actually happened pretty quickly, pretty instantaneously. But I want to say it was a life that we see of time and time again being filled with the Holy Spirit, of enjoying his presence. Jesus knew, didn't he, that his disciples needed him. And he knows that we, his disciples, Freedom Church, need him. I just want to say he is willing and able. As we can ask the worship team to come back up. He's willing and able to come and bring his power. He actually wants to bring hope and refreshing to us this morning. He wants to bring joy and faith to his beautiful bride, the church. And so we're going to stand and ask the guys just to come and take over. But I want us all just, again, if you're feeling that apathy, if you're feeling, um, if you're feeling scared, if you're feeling any of those things, I want to encourage you to open yourselves up this morning. Tell God how you're feeling. But be ready. Just start to feel his touch. And expect him. Expect an encounter this morning. Because that is promised to you that he will pour himself out over all believers.